I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... The Dating Ring. What is The Dating Ring? Well, it's an independent matchmaking service started by two friends who attempted to pioneer a new way of finding love in the digital age by shipping women from New York to San Francisco. Yes, this is a real thing, and it's going to end poorly. There's something off about this situation. Being lonely sucks, and as you grow older, it's something you end up spending more and more time doing. It's harder to make friends, harder to find time for people, and harder to fall in love. Enter two best friends from New York, Emma and Lauren. They have a solution for all your emotional hardships, the dating ring. We're sitting here with the founders of the dating ring. So why don't you guys give us a little bit of a rundown about what we're talking about today, which is dating. Yeah, uh, so Emma and I have done a little dating. <laughs> so you said that you started this after using the dating sites that are already available and they weren't really working for you. So what are you taking from them? What are you keeping? What are you throwing away? What are your differences and similarities? Yeah. Um, I mean, there are so many different sites out there and companies. I would say the, the thing, the site that we're taking like the most from or the company is Grouper, um, which is this great social club and we love them. Uh, and I've been on a couple groupers, they were very bizarre and funny. Um, but what they do is they set up uh, a guy and a girl and the guy and the girl brings two friends each. So they're doing the six people meetups, which is similar to what we're doing. Um, however, we're matching all six people and ours are for love and romance. <laughs> ours are for like getting wasted, which is great. Everybody loves getting wasted. So that's something that is similar. I mean, you, you get the idea. It's fucking... It's a it's fucking a bullshit online dating thing, right? So it's these two it's these two women, Lauren and and uh, and Emma, and they're like, we're gonna start a, a an online dating site, which is a totally cool thing to try and do. Like that's great. Um, a lot of lonely people. Let's try and connect them. Let's try and hook them up. Also, it's worth noting that you know we're in, we're in the year year of our Lord twenty twenty one, and uh, not only are dating apps well. I could be wrong about this. We we live in Los Angeles, so maybe our experiences are are different than um, some people in some of the the middle country or the middle countries, the middle states, <laughs> the middle countries, the middle countries of the United States. Yeah, I'm, I'm living in some weird future post apocalyptic world where we've every every like state has seceded off and become a country. I mean, we're basically there, bro. That's what I mean. I mean, that's I'm I've, I'm like thinking ahead. Uh, but, uh, uh, but dating apps are like, not only are dating apps just completely normal and normalized and like everybody uses them. Uh, but also we just, we just went through this fucking pandemic where we were all just like isolated off from each other for a year and a half and still kind of going. So like, uh, online interaction and like interacting with people exclusively through, your phone and through the computer is not only normalized, but just kind of like the primary mode of communication. So, you know, looking at this and being like, oh, yeah, there was just some other some one of these other dating apps or whatever. But but in actuality, you know, they started trying to uh, grow this company back in 
2012-2013 where that was not the case there was like like uh tinder and and there there was like there were these like old school um old guard dating sites that you went to on your computer like okay cupid and plenty of fish and stuff like that uh and they were kind of like stigmatized as like the these sites are kind of for like lonely people and then like older people who just like don't have many opportunities to get out and meet people uh but there wasn't really anything that was like normalized and common for younger people and it was it was thought of as this thing of like why would you like only like losers use dating apps or whatever so whenever they were you know at this time when they were starting this company um, it was not a normal thing. It was like they were right there along with the tenders of the world in kind of like at least attempting to blaze this trail of normalizing the idea of meeting and socializing romantically through technology. And the we will we will talk a lot about this, but one of the ways that Dating Ring kind of started as a company in a major way is they got they got the opportunity to pitch at this thing called Y Combinator. And they got seed fund seed funding where they they kind of like basically wooed a bunch of investors and they they pitched themselves as Uber for dating, which is so bizarre that like that's basically the idea for Tinder. Right. Um, And and they were, you know, contemporaneously with Tinder, they were trying to crack that nut. Uh, No pun intended. And and they were they were they were there. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You saying no pun intended implies that something about your romantic interactions involves the cracking of nuts. Well, it's not, dude. Cracking a, cracking a nut is also... Dave, you're doing it wrong. That's not how it works. Isn't cracking a nut slang for... It's busting a nut, cracking a nut? Like, it, it's slang for, for coming. No, I don't think so. I don't think cracking a nut is... I think busting a nut is the slang. Yeah, I guess you're right. Busting a nut is cracking is not. What is cracking a nut? Cracking a nut is not slang. What is that? No, crack like that's when you're saying like you're trying to figure something out. Like I'm trying to crack this nut or whatever. That's like you're trying to get into the. That sounds like you're describing sex to me. (laughs) Dave, (laughs) there's there's something deeply wrong with it's it's the no schools thing. It's because you didn't have schools. You didn't learn. And now you're you're. You're harming yourself every time you go on a date. <laughs> I'm just out here. I'm just out here. Like, uh, I'm at the end of the date, I'm just like standing with my legs spread, like wincing, getting ready to get kicked in the nuts instead of just like a handshake or a good night smooch or a little hug or something. I'm just like, fucking do it. Kick me in the fucking balls. And they're always like, there's like, what? No. And then, and, and you convince them to do it. And they're just like, all right. And they do it. And they're just like, yeah, that guy, he just, he's into some weird shit. This is how I'm going to get canceled. All these people are going to come out and be like, bro, he wanted me to kick him in the nuts. Like after 15 minutes of meeting him, that guy is fucked up. And I'm just over in the corner being like, what? I'm just trying to crack my nuts. That's not, this isn't a thing. I thought we all were trying to just crack nuts. Yeah. And the reason why, the reason why you're going to get canceled is because, you know, it's going to be that it's going to be very insensitive to the flip flop community because, you know, it's just you just can't kicking in flip flops is just very impractical. Yeah, it's, it's it's you know, it's unsafe too. you're in an urban area. You're trying to kick someone. Your flip flop flies off. You put your foot on the ground. It's dirty. You know, it's unhygienic. It's not it's not not appropriate. 
Well, I would like to formally apologize to the flip-flop community for um, debasing myself and potential romantic partners linked to the pun, cracking a nut. Yeah, and I'd like to pre-apologize to the flip-flop community as well, because for, you know, any future references on the show, be it on this episode or any future episodes, where I, in the middle of a conversation, reference uh, somebody who goes back and forth on some kind of topic and changes their opinion, and I refer to it as flip-flopping. Um, that's very insensitive. Of course, I you know I I don't mean to imply that people who wear flip-flops are are very uh, mercurial mercurial or fickle. Um, you know, you can be decisive wearing flip-flops. I realize that now. I'm very sorry. Oh God. I hate flip-flops so much. Anyway, so, <laughs> so you know, all of this sounds like a pretty standard affair, right? You know, they're, they're organizing a dating service that's going to help people to meet in their area, have fun, make some connections, and if presented correctly, that could blossom into the most human of emotions, love. And this is where things get a little fucking weird. Well, I think dating in New York is hard. Everyone always talks about how there's a lot more women than men. That ratio is very high. So according to the U.S. Census, there are 100,000 more women in dateable ages. In San Francisco, there are actually 40,000 more men. There is a much larger ratio of men to women than women to men. It's true, I've Googled it before. I heard somewhere that there's actually 50,000 more single women in New York than single men. Yeah, so San Francisco's really small, right? And even if you look at the kind of um, gender ratios, we're dominating the number of, of, of women that there are here in the city. Dating in New York is the worst. I mean, the numbers problem in New York is that all men are gay or awful. So I heard there's a lot of women in New York and not as many in San Francisco, so this you know, of course it's a great thing. Yes, I would fly across the country for something as important as love. I would fly across the country for for love. The crow tilt idea sounds fantastic to me. I mean, it would be amazing if there was kind of, you know, a, a plane of, of, of amazing women that were flying out to San Francisco to meet guys, myself included. I think that would be a lot of fun. I don't know, I feel like the, a different coast would give me a different perspective. Please, Crowd Tilt, will you fund this project so we can fix this imbalance? Would you please pay for me to go meet boys? I would love to fly across the country to meet someone from New York. And I would love it if you came here to meet me in San Francisco. So you should fund this Crowd Tilt. I am definitely not reading off of a script, and I am in no way being coached. I'm genuinely saying these things right now. I can't imagine anybody actually being enthusiastic about this concept like let's turn off all logic circuits for any of the context of this story and what happens and later or whatever and let's just assume that hypothetically this solution could work let's just say that like yeah sure uh if you if you flew a bunch of women from new york to san francisco they're gonna like meet all these guys and they're going to like fall in love and there's going to be like 30,000 marriages in a week. Even still, I can't imagine anybody like being into that. That almost seems like just something you wouldn't want to do. It would just be like, oh, I guess I'll try this because I'm so desperate. 
Not like I can't wait for this bizarre process of like meeting up with a group of women and then like being flown to a different state across the country and then like going on these blind dates in this in this like unfamiliar place. Like that doesn't seem like a thing you're like, yeah, that seems like a thing you're like, uh, I <laughs> this is my last resort. I'll try anything at this point. Look, I realize that I'm probably not like a, a typical person, right? Like I, I don't think I'm necessarily like a. A prototypical dude in my age bracket. I'm probably a little weird. I have peculiar interests. I mean, that's what this podcast is, right? It's me and you being like, hey, we like weird stuff. Let's talk about like a bank robber who dressed up like a specter of death and made $50,000 and still chose to live with his mom. You know what I mean? Like that's... It's that uh, it's that viral TikTok that's been going around for a while where it's that one woman and she's like, tell me your boyfriend will never cheat on you without telling me your boyfriend will ever cheat on you. And then it's just it just cuts to like all of our show. It just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just it just cuts to me in a tub in a diaper with toys like. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. I'm not, I'm not a normal, you know, a, 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 a typical person that you would like meet on a dating app or whatever. And I don't mean that in an exclusionary, like, I'm better than everyone. I'm like, no, man, I'm a fucking weirdo. Like, it, I'm a, I'm a fucking comic book artist. Like, I'm like a, I might as well be a like a Buddhist monk for the, uh, at the average concern of America has for comic book artists. Um, but the idea of flying six hours in a cramped ass fucking plane, getting off and then going on blind dates with people I've never met before. That sounds horrible. As a man, that sounds horrible. Going through the nine circles of hell. Yeah. As a man, that sounds horrible. As a woman or non-binary person where you're dealing with even more baggage, where there's this like instant judging somebody on how they look or... Uh, a weird fetishization of you as a, a a female, like also going to Silicon Valley and matching up with like tech bros. Like this, the the the, the premise of this is just so structurally flawed and so built into our society's preconceived notions of gender roles, and just so unfortunate on every level. Like it, this just sounds horrible. Yeah, I mean, you know, but there's two there's two things though cuz I I'm right there with you. I I get <laughs> I guess this is getting we're getting a little personal here, but wait, before you before you go into that, I just want to just in case the crowd tilt funding campaign didn't fully communicate it, the premise of their business model is there are a lot of lonely women in New York and there are a lot of lonely rich men in San Francisco. So we're going to fly women who are single from New York to San Francisco so that they can blind date match with shitty tech nerds. And it's specifically like women in New York who are these like carefree party people matching them up with these tech bro people. Right. Yes. Okay. So now continue with what you're saying. Sorry. I just want to make sure that was clear for the listener. Yeah. No, I, because, but I'm, I'm right there with you because so so there's, there's like two ways to look at it because from my personal perspective, I'm right there with you. I, number one, I really am kind of a little bit unfamiliar or alien with this whole world in general because I, I've never really dated at all. I, I, I have been in, I have been in, um, I have been in three relationships since I'm 33 years old. 
I've been in three relationships. Three? Yeah, three. I've been in three relationships since high school that were all back to back. I've been in three long term relationships across the last, what is that, 10, 11, 14 years. Oh, I'm flattered that you count me as one of those relationships. Yeah, well, okay, four. Well, three and then a side piece. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I've been in, I've been in three back to back long term monogamous, monogamous relationships since I was in high school. And, I, and none of them were dating situations. It was always like meeting somebody, like be, being friends with somebody. And then it turns into a friendship or turns into a relationship. So I kind of even, I don't really, not, not, not only do I not really know what it's like to date, cause I've literally never done it. But also, I don't want to. I, it's, it's, it sounds horrible to me. The, I, like, especially now, like when I was younger, maybe, maybe I was like, you know, when I, I would be like, yeah, I'll do this. I never really had to, but if I had to, I might have been willing to do it for the potential benefit of meeting somebody. But now in my thirties, I'm just like, oh God, like, I never, I never want to do that ever. I want to just, I, I want to go to my grave, never having had to go on a date. Um, well, let me let me tell you as somebody who has dated a bit. Holy fuck, it sucks, bro. Like it sucks. Especially it sucks cuz I'm a weirdo, man. Like nobody knows what to talk to me about. I'm always just like, "So, do you want to talk about comic books?" Like that's not true. I'm I'm playing it up for comedy. I'm I'm a very nice person and I am capable of talking to people, but also you know what I value? Like I value like I mean, look at look at the shit that's on my walls. Like, I value this shit. Nobody in my age bracket. I'm a 95-year-old man on the inside. It's just all swastikas. He's just pointing, <laughs> oh, he's God, just pointing to swastikas. I was pointing to a Charles Bronson movie poster, <laughs> for the record, which isn't that much better. Charles Bronson's a shitty-ass Republican dude who made a bunch of, like, weird, you know, pro-gun, anti-people-of-color movies. So it's not, it's not all that great, but it's definitely not third reich level bullshit um remember remember when we were at little in in little tokyo that one time and we were kind of just like sitting there and it was like it was kind of later and the crowd had kind of dispersed it was sort of like that feeling of like last call like people were kind of just like leaving but there's like a few stragglers left behind that are kind of just mulling about and um uh that 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 street performer that faint that famous street performer in little tokyo was there secret Asian? His his stage name is Secret Asian Man. Yeah, Secret Asian Man, which is this. Maybe we'll do an episode about that guy. But he, uh, I, I kind of forgot about him until just now. Um, but he he performs in this little in this little tiny amphitheater in the middle of little Tokyo, and he just he sits there with like a big setup of like a synthesizer and a bunch of like a drum machine and a bunch of stuff, and he just plays songs that he wrote, and he's been doing it for decades. So he's still there and he's still playing, but there's nobody there. And there's us and we're sitting on this bench. And then there's these three kids that are like, they're like 16. And it's this girl and these two guys. Oh, man, I forgot about this. Oh, my God. This was so painful to watch. This was like, just before you, before you talk about what it actually was, this was, this you and I like didn't say anything to each other for like 15 minutes because we were just like staring in abject horror at what was happening. We were both so 
sad watching this this trio of people where we were we didn't even have to say anything to each other we both just knew what was happening and we both didn't leave i mean we were like there for literally 15 or 20 minutes watching these people just like it was a train wreck it was it was carnage in slow motion it was somebody stepping on a landmine and then <laughs> ripping in half in 120 frames per second uh, my heart was bleeding for these, I'm not even gonna say anymore. Just go, go. It was, I was so sad for these people. Yeah. So it's these three kids and, um, it, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a girl and then these two guys. And you could kind of just get a sense from watching them. And they're not, they're not even really talking. So you're not even like hearing conversation. You could just get, you could just see it from the body language and just the dynamic and just what was going, the energy between these three people that these two guys are like her friends and they both are in love with her, but she does not see either of them in a romantic way. And it's that very particular thing, which I think got to us so much because it was like, it was so universally relatable of like, that is what it was like to be 16 years old and not be like some dashing outgoing, like ladies man guy to see these two guys who clearly this girl was kind of like she had a bit of that like anime girl weeb kind of energy to her where she you could tell she was like I just like doing like funky crazy stuff and I'm like I'm carefree and I like dancing and you know doing you know being weird or whatever like she had that kind of energy to her kind of like that proto manic manic pixie dream girl energy but more like high school anime fan version And so she's like, you know, kind of dancing to the music and kind of doing kind of acting goofy. Nothing wrong with it, but that's just what she was. That's just how she was. And then these two guys who are just like not like that at all, who are like competing, subtly competing against each other to be like the most fun one and like trying to keep up with her energy, but not totally not wanting to like you can just see it in their body language and their eyes that like this is far out of their comfort zone they don't want to be doing this they don't want to be standing in the middle of little tokyo dancing to like a man playing weird synthesizer music they don't want to be doing this they would rather be like literally playing video games at home right now but they're just so desperate for this girl to like like them and like suddenly see them in a romantic light, which she's never going to because she's just not interested in them. They're her, they're her friends. And there's no reason why, you know, like a a friendship between a man and a woman is not like some weird, like, like first step in like graduating to to romantic relationship. Like that's, that's just, it's not compatible in that way. So many men, especially younger men, like think of it that way of like, Oh, I'll be friends with her. And then the next step is she's going to be my girlfriend. But that's just not how it works. Like people are interested romantically in people and it's pretty clear from the outset that they are. And then they're and then other people, they're not and they can be friends with him and it can be totally platonic. So this girl is these two, these two guys are totally platonic friends, but they are competing with each other to like win her over and become the guy that she suddenly sees in a new light and wants to date. And so they're like both trying to match her like goofy energy by dancing around and it was like it was like the saddest version of a napoleon dynamite scene like it was like two napoleon dynamites and a cute girl and the worst part of it andrew what would you call a three-way where no one's getting fucked and both people are just cucks because that's what it was 
It was just two cucks and a girl. It was nobody, nobody was actually having sex. Like it was, they were trying to like make a moment. Like both of them, both of the dudes were trying to make a moment with the girl, but she was like looking at the ground and like dancing and they, you could see them both like trying to make meaningful eye contact with her and like, oh God, it was so painful. And we just, we sat and just were transfixed by this. Like, this was better than any, like, mumblecore coming-of-age movie that's ever been made. Like, what we saw, nobody could ever synthesize that into as meaningful of a of a viewing experience in a movie. It's just, it, it, it can never and will never be done. Life was happening in, life was happening in slow motion, like, and it was even more bizarre because it was set to the backdrop of like polka music made by a semi paraplegic man with an extremely thick Japanese accent. So like he was playing like where he had a it's very sad. His, his, his stage name is Secret Asian Man, and he uh, has been playing in Onizuka, astronaut Onizuka Plaza in Little Tokyo in Los Angeles for literally like 30 years. And he has this setup where he's a one-man band, and so he does pun covers of famous pop songs and original songs that are all kind of funny. And he's a street busker. That's like what he's done forever. And he'll play like Journey, like don't, you know, don't stop the feeling or don't stop believing or whatever the fuck Journey song is. I don't know. I don't like Journey. But, you know, but he'll change the lyrics to be like, don't stop eating yogurt or whatever. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I mean, it's not that far off. Like his the reason why he works under the name Secret Asian Man is because he plays Secret Agent Man, that spy song from the 1960s. But he changes the lyrics to Secret Asian Man. But whatever the fucking lyrics to the song are and he was playing a polka song but he fell down the stairs like two or three years before this incident it's horrible it's a tragedy he fell downstairs and wasn't able to afford the surgery that he needed to fix his spine so he he became pseudo paraplegic so normally he would play with a guitar uh, in his lap and then with one hand he would also play a piano and then he would also put like a tambourine on one foot and like another uh synthesizer on his right foot where he would like hit one key at a time with this little like shoe that has like a rod sticking out of it and so he would he you know it's a one-man band but at, in the, and i had seen him there on and off for years but this was re- relatively recently after he had fallen and had this accident. So he couldn't do his normal one man band stuff. So he could only play with like, normally he's playing with both feet, both arms and singing, but he could only move one arm. So it was like a recorded, like bum, 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 on a, on a loop. And then he would just like hit one note on a piano with a, with his, with his pointer finger, like bing, 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 bing singing like you know don't stop the feeling given to that love and stuff and thing whatever the fuck i don't we don't have school, don't so i don't stop eating yogurt <laughs> yeah exactly hold on to those probiotics like so he's doing this with an extremely thick japanese accent and these three people in front of us were having formative trauma inflicted <laughs> upon them <laughs> 
<laughs> like, like I could see both of the men's hearts, or they were guys, young men, boys, whatever. I could see both of their their hearts being cleaved in two. And the worst part is, she knew what was happening, and she was like kind of into it. Like she was excited. It was not a completely innocent thing. Like I want to say that it was, where she was just like unaware. She knew, and we all know people like this. This is not a gendered thing, but we all know people like this where you want to be desired. And sometimes you let situations where people want something from you that you're never going to give them maybe spiral a little bit out of control before you say, you know what, this isn't really the direction I want things to go in. And that is the point that we were at. After that night, something changed for those three people. I don't know what the fuck it was, but something changed. Something changed for us. It changed for me, for sure. We were never the same after that. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were like looking at these people and like almost kind of like slack jawed. Like we were, we were crying, but not from tears of pain, but because we weren't blinking because we didn't want to miss what was happening. Yeah. And it really was just word. Like we didn't need to verbalize any of this to just like we both knew like we were just like yep <laughs> i think i i think i i literally think we didn't say any, i don't even remember why we were down there were we watching a movie down there or something we were we were there some we were we went and saw we went and saw godzilla versus mothra oh i thought that was a different time that was that time uh, maybe it was a different time. Oh, we, we, no, it definitely was a different time. It definitely was a different time because we, when we went to go see Godzilla versus Mothra in the courtyard across from that shopping plaza, you showed up on that fucking scooter and you were like, yo, <laughs> and you drove by me and I laughed like an idiot. And everybody, he, he did this in front of like 30 people and like, I just lost my shit laughing and everyone was like looking at me and I was like, he's the one who just like went by on a fucking scooter and i'm the one that you're staring at <laughs> it was it was definitely a different time i don't remember why we were down there we we're probably just down there having dinner or something whatever it doesn't matter but i the, i don't i i literally don't think that we said anything to each other except maybe i think when it started happening we both looked at each other and then one of us nodded and then we looked back at what was happening like i really don't think we said anything yep no we didn't um but that it, like, I don't want, I don't want any part of that, especially as a 33 year old man, which I guess these, these people aren't 30. They're in their twenties, but as a, in my twenties, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want any part of that. I mean, I'm always down to do weird shit just for the experience. Cause I'm always like, oh, maybe I'll write about it. Like that was the thing that I enjoyed the most, uh, you know, at the last time I was single for a prolonged period of time going on these weird dates and doing online stuff. It's terrible. I'm not saying it was fun, but there's a, there's a, my crucible as a person is that I am not always in my own body. Like sometimes I just like am in a social situation that's terrible and I'll stay there just to see how bad it'll get. And I'll like step back from the conversation and just kind of start watching and like taking notes in my head and like, I've been on so many weird Tinder dates and weird like kind of friend blind dates where my friends will set me up or whatever. Like I've been on so many of those where it's just like, oh, this is horrible. I wonder how far this can go. <laughs> I wonder how long I can drag this out. Oh, this is terrible. This person has no interest in me. I have no interest in this person. I wonder if we can spend it all night together. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about them. You you saying that right now, just like, oh my God. 
that might be one of the most traumatic things I've witnessed. Like I've seen like really sad shit. Like I was on, I was on the Metro once where somebody, something really bad happened to this girl and she was just like weeping to the point where she was going to vomit. And even that raw emotionality that was on display, nowhere near as soul crushing as those three people and that horrible two two minute and 59 second song version of don't stop eating yogurt or whatever it was <laughs> it was so bad it was so bad but then it was also like it was like you were in it but then you it was like it was like when you have a dream or something awful happens and then when you wake up for like 10 seconds you're just like filled with this dread or this grief because you just think that that happened. And then like when you realize that it didn't actually happen and that you're fine, it was like that where it was like, oh my God, this is like one of the most painful things I've ever seen in my life. But then you're like, but it, but it's not me. I get to just sit and watch. I just get to be an observer. Thank God. Yeah, it really was like, it made me very thankful. <laughs> it made me very thankful. Like, I was just like, fuck, man, that is some that is that is some real shit that is happening right there. And I don't have the mental bandwidth for that anymore. I don't want to deal with any of that. Yeah, that is just three people just fucking going through the formative traumas that will dictate the rest of their lives. Yep. Those people will never hear don't stop believing and be the same. So back to the back to the topic at hand, Um, you know, they they basically uh the the two founders Emma and what are the names Emma and Emma and Lauren they they you know they go to this Y Combinator investment pitch thing they say the dating ring is going to be the Uber for 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 dating you know you're going to be able to you know have this app on your phone you're going to be able to connect with people in your area it doesn't necessarily go the way they wanted it to but they get a lot of investment money yeah the interesting thing is that originally you know what we just this this concept that we just saw like this is not what the company was originally um they went through the whole y combinator process honestly they went through the whole y combinator process uh kind of what uh, they were saying in that first video which is they were like a group dating app but it just wasn't working they went through they went through this entire y combinator process um, where they were just like the worst company there in this, in this, like whatever class or whatever you'd call it. Um, like thinking of Y Combinator as like a college and they, you know, they went through their four years and all of their, you know, all of their peers that went through, you know, the same four years with them. They were like the worst one. They weren't growing. They, they weren't, uh, you know, figuring out kind of what the company's like real vision was. <clears throat> and, some one one of the one of the guy one of the people there one of the the executives at Y Combinator that sits down and like talks to these people they basically at some point were like have you ever like thought like maybe people don't like group dates and they were just like but that's the whole company and they're like yeah but like have you ever like thought about have you ever asked if like maybe they'd rather just do one on one dates and so they they did a poll of their existing customers and literally a hundred percent of them said they preferred one-on-one dates to group dates. So in the last in the last like month of Y Combinator, they switched the whole company to being a one-on-one date app, just like Tinder or anything else. It just became it was like it had this high concept, like niche thing to it. And then at the last minute, they were just like, Oh, people don't fucking like this. And then they just changed it to just a, a Tinder, basically. But it still didn't work. It still kind of failed. Um, and so then they latched onto this weird, bizarre idea, 
which is so strange to me. And it's so like, it's so like weirdly hyper specific for a company to be, especially like a big tech company. Like these tech companies, they're always about these like large kind of like scalable ideas. Like Facebook, it's like, you know, a social network where you connect with your friends. Twitter, you know, tweet out your ideas to the world. Uh, Uber, you know, get a ride anywhere you're at or whatever. And this is just like dating ring. Women in New York come date guys in San Francisco. That's like such a strangely specific concept for a business. Come get some money in San Francisco. And so, you know, they they pivot to this thing. They launch this not Kickstarter to, you know, start this program. And it's such a weird thing. And so kind of like inherently bullshit that it gets picked up on a lot of news sites. And so that YouTube video that we played of their crowd tilt campaign video has 77,000 views or something like that. Um, and, you know, they only needed or they only got like 10 grand to do this because they basically were like, we're going to do a pilot program where we're going to take 15 people, fly them to L, fly them to uh, San Francisco uh, from New York, 15 women. And so they they raised their money and they're like, OK, we're going to we're going to, you know, take the company in this direction. We're going to see how it goes. Let's let's see what happens. But it got so much, um, you know, so much kind of cultural like this is weird that a bunch of reporters started reaching out to them. And this story was covered by Maureen O'Connor for The Cut in an article posted May 29th, 2014. She traveled with this fledgling group of 15 would-be romantics across state lines in the hopes of finding true love, or at least something interesting to write about. So what we're going to do now is we're going to read Maureen O'Connor's piece that she wrote for The Cut, and she's a brilliant writer, um, and uh, it's a very funny piece about a very bizarre thing that these people tried to do as a company. Uh, and so we're, it's broken down by day of what she did at the various junctures. So we're going to read this article and then we're both going to talk about how horrible and, and, and uh, tra- traumatizing this sounds. <laughs> day one, my jet lag date with a pickup artist. I arrive at Newark Airport to find a circle of young women seated cross-legged by our gate while a Nightline producer films them. Is this a bachelorette party? A stranger asks. Over the course of the weekend, I will resort to describing us as a travel club, a sorority, a reality TV show, and a prostitution ring. Dating Ring co-founder Emma Tesler hands me an itinerary and travel kit with everything a single girl traveler could need. Lip balm, condoms, and makeup remover. We're a telegenic group, attractive and diverse, with ages ranging from early 20s to late 30s. Melissa, a drop-dead gorgeous Notre Dame-educated firefighter who provides counseling for survivors of 9-11, seems to have been designed in a laboratory for perfect women. Galadriel, a radiant speech therapist with curly blonde hair, was named for the Elf Queen in Lord of the Rings. On the plane, my seatmate flirts with the dashing Qatari journalist sitting between us. I eavesdrop, then ostentatiously put my earbuds in, but in fact, I am still eavesdropping. When we land, they exchange business cards. This girl is not messing around. At the hotel, we are four to our room, splitting double beds, because this fucking thing only raised $10,000 college spring break style. My roommates are Susanna, a 24-year-old who works in fashion, Renee, a 32-year-old who works in fine art and teaches yoga therapy on the side, and Lisa, a tattooed 26-year-old writer who supports herself by ghostwriting online dating profiles. My new friends and I primp and give each other wardrobe advice, then summon cars to take us to our first dates. 
Our transport for the weekend is provided by Lyft, which is sort of the hipster version of Uber. The cars wear hot pink mustaches, rides begin with a fist bump, and passengers are encouraged to chat with drivers. This is from back when Lyft and Uber weren't just interchangeable things. Yeah, that that this like totally brought me back to that. Like I kind of forgot about that when I was when I read this. I was like, oh yeah, Lyft used to used to have those big plush mustaches on the front. Which, which was, which was so dumb. And also I was just like, I feel like those things must get ruined after like a week, like just being like whipped in the wind. It's like, it's like cloth. They must have had to replace those things like weekly. Yeah, the world's changed a lot since 2014. All 16 dates are occurring simultaneously at the same bar, which is a blessing since gossiping about dates is more fun than actually going on them. The dating ring is basically a tech-enhanced yenta. They combine one-on-one matchmaking meetings with algorithms, feedback, and a sizable database of singles to supercharge blind dates. My first date is Greg, a tall, dark, and handsome 37-year-old Yahoo employee who used to support himself as a professional pickup artist, though he prefers the term social coach. Get the fuck out of here. This guy sucks already. Yeah, I mean, this, this, uh, this article from 2014 is almost giving the idea of a pickup artist a little bit more uh, benefit of the doubt than it probably would have now. It probably would now like, like she doesn't necessarily paint this as like a negative thing because I feel like people just didn't really know what they were at the time. Um, now it's like you hear about those and you're like, oh God. Moved by a character in the game known as Juggler, a young Greg sought Juggler out and apprenticed with him, eventually working full-time for Juggler's company, Charisma Arts. Honestly, most of the guys I coached just needed to practice eye contact and basic stuff like smiling, he says. Did it work? Well, a bunch of them have girlfriends now, and I don't, because nobody wants to date somebody who devotes their life to this monastic quest to teach men how to manipulate women. We drink and talk on our own, then mingle with other couples. Lisa is wearing a microphone, which we use to shout gossip into the Nightline producer's ear. We're doing shots. This will be great B-roll. I scream into Lisa's boob. Greg leaves early. He has to get up at 8 a.m. to ride the Yahoo bus. He does not attempt hanky-panky. I return to the hotel and crawl into bed with Renee. This is not the stranger I imagined sharing intimacy with in the land of the single men. But when I wake up jet-lagged before sunrise, I realize our butts are touching. How funny is it that it's like, all right, so we're going to launch this company and we're going to bring people out to... New York from San Francisco. It's going to be this whining, dining experience. And you're going to have the time of your life meeting these single men who have loads of money and are attractive and they want companionship. And you're going to be the solve for their life problems. Also, you're sleeping in a bed uh, with another woman in a hotel that's probably a fucking Ramada. And, uh, you know, it's just like a sea of goobers. And, um, oh, also your date's a pickup artist. <laughs> like, it's so good. It's just an awful, half-baked, poorly conceived, only sort of executed because for the sake of wanting to build a company rather than for the sake of wanting to solve a problem or fulfill some kind of need in society idea. It's just awful. It's a terrible idea. And you get a sense for that when you, when you sort of listen to the, the whole, story of the company from from beginning to end uh going back before this to when they were a group date uh uh company and then they switched to just the one-on-one dates is they're they're so aimless and they they experience so much failure not not that you know there are there are tons of companies that are great ideas that fail because that's just how it works but they they they're so aimless and they experience so much failure because they just, they really don't have a, a goal or any kind of vision. They're just, they just want to have a company, which is such a big problem, um, in the like startup world that companies get started. 
that are just like, there's no purpose to them other than that the guys wanted to start a company. And then they kind of like figure out what the company is kind of after the fact, which they usually don't do. Yeah, but I would love an airplane load of amazing women to come see me, and I would love to go see them. So please fund my crowd tilt. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a it's an awful idea. It's a horrible company. You're not getting any pushback from me. Day two, sorority sisters. Already my New York friends are ridiculing me. Do you love your pledge class sisters so, so much? One snarky text reads, You've gone too far, another says, after reviewing a photo in which I am performing a sorority squat with so much gusto that it doubles as a high-intensity workout for my glutes. I don't care about the cynicism. I'm in California, land of the earnest. My social euphoria is that of a middle schooler at summer camp. My sister wives and I do everything together. We eat together, sleep together, dress together, group text one another incessantly, and visit tourist traps. If we were in New York and ran into a shrieking bachelorette party of women like us, we'd hate them. But at the BFF camp, we are free. Tonight's date is another man named Greg. This one, a tall, blonde, handsome, and a programmer. Greg 2.0 agreed to participate in our bi-coastal dating experiment because he loves San Francisco so much he wants to evangelize. He's looking for a serious girlfriend, and while he talks about these deeply personal matters, I exercise my peripheral vision in search of Greg 1.0. He's with firefighter Melissa. Greg 2.0 drops me off at a bar with the girls. I watch one make out with her date while another flirts with strangers. Alexa, a 24-year-old pop singer who has a song called Twitter in brackets, spaces in between my heart summons a bunch of jocks she met that morning at the gym alexa's first date offered to take her and the female friend of her choice to napa valley she declined when the guys offer to take us to a hip-hop club alexa bends over and announces i'm gonna twerk my little thing little thang little thang with an a i'm gonna twerk my little thang a few drinks later at the club my thing gets into a few undignified positions too. Outside the hotel at 2 a.m., yet another New Yorker is passionately making out with her date. It was just the craziest chemistry I've ever experienced in my life, she will later say. They're seeing each other again in two weeks. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is Twitter, parentheses, spaces in between my heart. I can't even begin to communicate how cringy this is. <laughs> Their costumes look like the Powerpuff Girls. Man, those those uh, community college <laughs> African dance classes really paid off. Wow. This was posted May 12, 2013, and boy, oh boy. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god, this is the dance moves. Alexa, you seem like a really nice person. And this is the, 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 the thing that is so cringy about this is it's so genuine and not particularly skilled. And I'm, I'm sorry that I'm laughing at you because I'm not laughing with you. I'm laughing at you. And that's not nice because... You're genuinely trying to make a piece of artwork, but f fuck, that's so bad, dude. Twitter in parentheses, 
The spaces in between my heart. Maybe he's the dancer in the spaces in between my heart. Maybe. Wait, what is her other music like? What's her other music like? That's a great cat catchy hook for a chorus. Well, look, at least the production is slightly better on that song. Yeah, I mean, that was a, the, the first one was in 2013. That was 2016. Looks like she may have, uh, unfortunately, she may have given up on her on her on her dreams. Because uh, the last last video posted here was three years ago. That was uh, that was a, a beautiful detour that we just went down. I loved that. I loved that. I wish the viewers, or the listeners, could see how. So it's a music video where it's Alexa and five. Six, six backup dancers, all in matching outfits, in a dance studio somewhere in New York. They're dressed like the Powerpuff Girls. They're, <laughs> they're wearing mini skirts and some sort of blouse thing, like a, a knot blouse, uh, K-N-O-T blouse. And, uh, and um, they're dancing in a weird middle ground level of skill, where it's like, these are people who've taken a lot of dance classes but it feels like they all had like five minutes to prepare, so everybody's kind of in time. But also, like the choreography is really bad, and like yeah, none of, none of it is like laughably bad, like so bad it's good, like you know something that people would watch and just like it would become viral because of how terrible it was. But it's like not good enough to be like even like oh yeah, this is this is this is pretty good. It's like it's just like that like it's just it's just plain bad like it's just it's just wonder bread bad yeah that sucked um you know i hope that cystic acne and whatever the other thing that was wrong with you helped you find your true purpose and that you're happy and healthy now alexa because i quite frankly never want to hear any of your music ever again take it away day three Day three, Men in the Wild. On Saturday, we have two parties. A two-hour cocktail party for our crowd tilt benefactors and the men we've dated so far, followed by a larger party for all dating ring members in the area. Time to go be geishas, Susanna sings brightly as we take lift to a bar called Skylark. This is the night things get dark. Some of the men at this party are more eccentric than those we received as matches. A programmer who donated several hundred dollars to the crowd tilt likens the donations to giving $2 to a homeless person. In an effectless voice, he analyzes the relative Asian-ness of each of my facial features, then explains his frustration with online dating. I prefer to use reality as my platform. There's zero latency, no lag. Do you know what lag is? When you do something online, you don't get a response right away. Meeting women in reality, boom, fully responsive. God, can you like is how how can like somebody so simultaneously you're just like this this person is a fucking douchebag and you just are so you just like are so like revolted by them but also you just like pity them to the deepest of your core because they think that they're sounding really cool and they just sound pathetic as he also i've worked with people exactly like this um, as he says this, I'm right here. I am right here. I mean, I'm not being subtle with my messages anymore. As he says this, he begins to touch me. I flee. Soon thereafter, Emma Tesler points out a different man she believes to be obsessed with me. She offers to run interference, and I do not see him again. I meet an angel investor who admits he gave to the crowd tilt to butter up CEO Lauren Kay so she'd accept his money. 
With these Y Combinator companies, sometimes so many people want to invest that they end up turning down money, he explained. He'd given money to the dating rings to secure the chance to give even more money to the dating ring. He wouldn't tell me how much he invested, but did mention a desire to buy an airplane. As the party grows, we become inundated with men. We are experiencing gender imbalance in the wild, and it is chaos. Every time I turn, there are men lined up waiting to deliver carefully rehearsed greetings or to initiate repartee. At this point, I'm so exhausted from constant socializing, even lift rides feel like first dates, that I feel a breakdown coming on. I mean, that sounds horrible. No thanks. I don't, I don't want anyone to have to go through that. I mean, it's just like, it's like these people that I think maybe were well-intentioned in the beginning. Although, like I said before, I don't think they really had a solid vision for what they actually wanted to do beyond just like having a company and it being successful. But, you know, I don't think that they necessarily started out as like just callous, uh, money grubbing, uh, you know, business people. But this is just like, this is just like, the this is just like the cynical monetization of human neurological drama this is just like all these people are just like really lonely and their hormones are going wild and they like feel desperate to like connect with somebody and meet somebody and or just like try out you know a a fun experience and we're just gonna like we're just gonna monetize that and then it like it loses any of its connection to like actually caring about what the people are want or what their goals are or what the purpose of this service or whatever you would call it would be. And then it just becomes like cramming a bunch of women into a room with a bunch of creepy dudes because you just want this company to work desperately. Day four, crying girls. Today's daytime activity is a picnic in the park. I find Lisa and tell her it's time to do as the San Franciscans have done since before the dawn of personal computing, get high. She goes to Dolores Park to seek weed from strangers, while I return to the hotel and initiate a texting phone tree. 20 minutes later, as a white guy with dreadlocks is dumping vegan brownies onto the bed, there's a knock on the door, and the Nightline film crew is standing there with a camera and a giant light. Just a minute, I shout through the crack in the door. When the dealer exits, I wonder if Nightline thinks I boned him. We use Lisa's bounty first, rolling joints and smoking them one by one in our hotel room. In the spirit of sisterly sharing, I have given pot brownies to everyone who's asked for them. Around midnight, I am informed that half the girls are curled up in the fetal position, crying. I report to the triage room, where I stroke a woman's hair while trying to hide how excited I am to eat my brownie, now that I know it is strong enough to make a grown woman cry. This is also a good way to evaluate men if you're into sexy bad boys. She just, she got so bored and overwhelmed by this thing, this service or this event, that she just like went off and just turned into the like millennial Hunter S. Thompson. Yep. Yeah. Oh, why didn't we read this as Hunter S. Thompson? Oh, yeah. She's just like, she's like, this sucks. I'm just going to go off on this fucking Thompson-esque uh, fucking voyage. Day five. Fully wired. No. Day five. No, wait, no that's Morgan Freeman. Uh <laughs> That actually was a pretty decent Morgan Freeman. Weird. Did, did you know you could do that before? 
I, I mean, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an impression that I'm going to go out and do publicly a, a lot, but I've, 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 I've done a Morgan before. Day five, fully wired. We report to CEO Lauren Kay's apartment for brunch. She lives in a residential tower billed as a design driven lifestyle pioneer, efficient, engaged, and fully wired. The elevator speaks to us as I stand on a terrace dotted with flat screen TVs, watching a beautiful couple making out in a swimming pool below. I have a revelation about why the cross country love crowd tilt met its fundraising goal. For every tech guy struggling to find love in San Francisco, there is one struggling harder to find novel way to spend his money. The funds necessary to fly 16 girls cross country so they can sleep four to a room is nothing compared to the sums that disappear when hotly anticipated startups go bust. Here, money is weightless. Social connections, on the other hand, are commodified. Fist bumps are mandated. Friends are declared. And dating ring members provide feedback after every date to help laser focus the next. The company's algorithm may one day know your desire better than you do. That technology has allowed us to so thoroughly interrogate, define, and perhaps redefine our feelings as simultaneously exhilarating and exhausting. Much like spending a weekend with strangers in a new time zone with a head full of acid and your butt up against a sexy firefighter. As the airplane takes off that afternoon, I eat some brownie, then curl up in a ball and stare out the window in silent bliss. After five days of nonstop meeting and greeting, the tacit permission to ignore everyone is sweet relief. A 32-inch seat in economy class has never felt so private. Tech bro country. <laughs> Marine O'Connor. That shit was that shit was great. Fuck yeah. Good job uh, covering these fucking weirdos because that shit was delightful, insightful, and uh, I, I loved it. Respiteful. Uh, Michael Crightful. Just like very res- reminiscent of Michael Crichton's writing style. I would love... Uh, Michael Crichton's The Dating Ring. I'm into it. And on that note, act break. Hey everybody, my name is Hilsmer Spacha Damon, the Space Hell Demon, and Andrew and Dave are forcing me to- What are you talking about, Hilsmer? Nobody's forcing you to do anything. You literally barged in here in the middle of me recording this promo and insisted that you do it. You said that I sucked at it and you could do it so much better than me. Yeah, exactly. I'm being forced to do it because you suck so much at your job. So anyway, Andrew and Dave are forcing me to get on the microphone today and kind of go over a bunch of the cool, deep cut stuff that's going on right now. So first and foremost, Dave is coming out with a new Pixie Box book which I guess are apparently called comics now, all of a sudden. But uh, yeah, the book is called Everyone is Tulip, and it's coming out June 29th, available in all sh- comic stores and stores in general, I guess. And uh, it's it's written by Dave, and it's drawn by Nicole Gu, and it's colored by Ellie Hall. And it's basically about an aspiring actress who moves to LA to try to make it big, and then she ends up sort of doing these weird experimental performance art YouTube videos and gets mixed in with this sort of identity-shattering underbelly of Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, so that that book is coming out uh, June 29th, and you can actually read the entire thing by going to everyoneistulip.com, where they're releasing the book page by page as a webcomic leading up to the release of it. Also, you can get official Deep Cuts merch by going to deepcutspod.com and clicking on the shop or you can go to bit.ly.com slash deepcutsmerch and you can get t-shirts, you can get hats, you can get coffee mugs, you can get baby onesies. You can also get a Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency patch that you can put on a backpack or put on your jacket uh, by going to deepcutspod.com and going to the shop. Or you can actually get that at Dave's shop at heydavebaker.com or you can get it at Andrew's shop at dapricerights.com. 
You should also follow Deep Cuts on YouTube by searching Deep Cuts, where we are going to be releasing some cool, interesting, long-form video in the coming months. You can follow Deep Cuts on Facebook, where Dave and Andrew put out these like reaction videos where they watch old movies and kind of react to them. You can also join the Facebook group, which is a group where a bunch of Deep Cuts listeners go to kind of hang out and talk about episodes or talk about random, interesting subjects. A lot of episodes are kind of born in that group. There's a lot of memes that happen there. It seems like a just a fun place for fucking nerds that like this bullshit would hang out. You can follow Deep Cuts on TikTok at Mystery Treehouse, where they do short form explainers. So if there's an idea that's like not long enough or in depth enough to do like a full episode on, they'll do like three minute explainers on TikTok. You can also check out all the different books and projects that Andrew and Dave are releasing on their websites, dapricewrites.com and heydavebaker.com, where they put out comics and books and video projects and anything else they're doing outside the Deep Cuts world, such as Dave's books, Fuck Off Squad and Action Hospital, or Andrew's book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. And finally, if you go to deepcutspod.com and scroll to the bottom to sign up for the mailing list, you'll receive a semi-regular newsletter called the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency Circular, which collects all the news and new content that Andrew and Dave are putting out and kind of puts it in one place, as well as provides some more commentary, and maybe in the future there might be some cool behind-the-scenes info that's going to be released there. There. Are you fucking happy? Once again, Hillsmer, you didn't need to do that. You insisted, and in fact, I would have preferred to do it. Is that the thanks I get? Get out of here. Act two, everything that goes up on a crowdfunding platform must come down. So the dating ring, this is the, this is, unfortunately, this is their apex. This blip of fame and weird curiosity of why the fuck would you do this is the, is the kind of apex of the country, the, the, the companies, um, it's their zenith, um. But before they did go, uh, go bye bye, the dating ring was the subject of a a full season of a the narrative podcast startup, um, which you know is a podcast about startups. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna listen to a little chunk of this right now. Probably make another five to ten thousand this month, which means we'll. Have Lauren talks about a lot of things in this email. How, despite all of the improvements they've made in their service they're still not attracting more users. How the odds of getting a big investment of VC money seem smaller and smaller, and how she's run out of ideas. Okay, well, I'm sorry for this email and where our company's at. I believe in us as founders and in our team, but it's just hard right now to believe in our business. Lauren. Today on the show, how Dating Ring got to this point, to a place where things were so bad, the company was essentially on the verge of bankruptcy. And how this little email led the Dating Ring founders to a big decision, a moment that changed the course of their company. So we divided and conquered on this one. You you watched the or listened to the beginning couple episodes and I listened to the end couple episodes of this series. Yeah, I, I sort of I sort of listened to the like the beginnings of the company and how they formed and everything leading up to this fucking batshit insane shipping women from New York to San Francisco idea. And then you listen to like the fallout of that. Yeah. Um, so I guess my first question is, what are your initial impressions of Lauren and Emma 
Um, we've we've spent all this time talking about how bad this idea is and how shitty this fucking thing is, but we haven't talked about them as people yet. What are you? What are your thoughts on them? What are your thoughts on their relationship? Why they're starting this company? Yeah, you, you know, it's 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 interesting, but it's kind of, it's kind of similar to what I was saying before, where um, you know, you, you listen to this, you listen to this their story, uh, you know, the the them coming together and them starting the company and this whole journey to what we've been talking about. And um, like I was kind of saying before, or kind of alluding to, um, you, you, you get the sense that they didn't necessarily have a kind, any kind of specific vision um, or, you know, they really wasn't any legitimate purpose for hap for having this company. Um, you know, they, the basically, um, you know, one of them wanted to start a dating service company. And then one of them, uh, had sort of stumbled into a job as like a matchmaker. Um, which I guess, you know, just the, the, the meat space version of a dating app where, you know, you just are somebody who like works freelance and people will like reach out to you and be like, I'm looking for a date. And then you like have a Rolodex of people. And then you kind of like use your own skills at like understanding, um, human psychology and 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 chemistry to kind of like intuit who would work well together and they had met through somebody a mutual friend or something like that and the you know this mutual friend was like hey this this person is like is great at like matching people i feel like she would be like the perfect um sort of you know you want to build this technology in this company and she could really provide the the social science aspect of it and, you know, make it to where the company would actually be set up for success for actually being able to deliver on this promise of finding people, their soulmates in a in an Uber style way, um, which, you know, sounds as a lot of people in the that are interviewed in the podcast say sounds great. It sounds like you're telling me that I that like a company will just like find my soulmate and it'll be as easy as ordering Postmates um, or DoorDash or whatever. Uh, and I think the reason why it sounds so great is because it's like not possible. Like that's just, it just can't be done. It's, it's, that's just a, that's just like a, a nebulous, uh, bullshit promise from a startup. Um, and they didn't really know what that meant specifically in terms of what their company was. And it started out as this group date thing where they kind of thought that like group dating would be a better dynamic for meeting people because it would just be less awkward. But then they found out that people didn't really like group dates. So they pivoted to being these one on one dates. And then that still didn't work because they just their 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 platform just didn't really work that well. And so then they pivoted to this weird idea that they kind of stumbled upon where they kind of noticed that there was this um, disparity in the demographics in the dating pool in these two different cities that kind of matched up. And so their sort of cockamamie idea, which once again, like sounds like it might be genius on paper, but then if you think about it for five seconds, it's just insane. But this idea of like, there's too many women looking, uh, there's too many single women in New York and there's too many single men in San Francisco. So we could just like fly them out to meet each other and we could solve this problem. And like, it's like, yeah, that sounds amazing. That sounds like uh, an idea, a solution to a problem that nobody's ever thought of. Uh, but then if you think about it, you're like, no, but that's, that's horrible. Why? Who would want to like fly to a different state and go on a bunch of blind dates? That's insane. 
Um, and I think the reason for that is because they just didn't really know what they were doing or know what they wanted. They just want, they, like they started a company. And then at that point, whenever they had quit their jobs and got all in on this company, then it was like, we got to figure out how to make this work because we can't just go back. We can't just like admit we failed and then just like, you know, go back and beg for our jobs back or find other jobs or whatever. Like we got to make this work. So, you know, any, any, any port in a storm, it, it became that as opposed to like actually trying to f- solve a problem in a really useful way. Um, so I, I think, you know, starting out, I think that they were mostly well intentioned, but, you know, listening to the podcast, you know, it's weird. I, I guess it's really just, uh, they sort of come off like they, care about each other and they're friends and they they sort of give this this front that they're caring but then if you kind of read between the lines and you kind of like you kind of like sway to the motion of some of their sort of business jargon they really just come off as just any other business bro person where you know I I was talking about I was texting about this with you earlier but there was a whole segment of the podcast where they had started this company together. There's there's actually three of them, um, but there's kind of like the two main ones that are uh, kind of the driving force. It's uh, I kind of I actually kind of forget their which one's which, but um, the there's the one that kind of started like wanted to start the company and wanted to build the tech side of it, and then there's the other one that was the matchmaker that kind of provided like the social science aspect of it. But it was so they started the company together. But the, like in the beginning, the 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 I think it's Emma that's the matchmaker one, or maybe I think it's Emma. She she like kind of didn't like she initially said like I don't want to like actually go on all in on the business. Like I'll help you help you out and provide services, but I don't want to get in wade into the 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 territory of like owning like running a startup in the early stages. But then when they got into Y Combinator. She kind of was like, actually, I, now that we've gone this far, I feel like I do kind of want in. So then they had, there's this whole seg- section of the podcast. It's almost a whole, a whole episode of the podcast where it's all about them like deciding like who gets what percentage ownership of the company. And it's basically about the Lauren, I think basically like kind of screwing Emma out of like, cause like they started the company together. And their combined forces kind of created what the company was. But because in the beginning, she kind of was like, oh, I don't necessarily want to be a partner. She kind of used that as like, a, oh, well, you said you didn't want to be a partner in the beginning. So this is my company. And so now that you want in, I get to set the terms of how much of it you own. So instead of like being 50-50, because we started this company together, I'm going to like, we're going to sit here and negotiate what your percentage is. And it started out from 1% and it was negotiated to 8%. And so these, these, these people who are talking and gushing about each other and talking about how much they care about each other and how great of friends they are and how they just like, when they met each other, it was, you know, they, they were, they were like so enamored with each other. But then it just devolves into this being like, well, uh, you know, I just didn't want to hurt her feelings. So I was really nervous to tell her that she was only going to get 8% of the company. And it, I don't know, it just something about them just felt like fake to me. It's just like, it just felt like they just, they seemed like run of the mill business startup bro type people that just like were pretend like that were kayfabing that they weren't your typical startup and that they actually cared about each other. Well, I think there's that component and there's another side of it too, where 
um, they they both seem extremely privileged and extremely like there's no consequences for anything they do. So they're just kind of like drifting through this whole process where their hearts not really in it, but they keep saying all of this weird verbiage about how the, you know, this is their do or die. And it's like, is it really? It doesn't seem like it. Yeah, it really does. It does. It does. That's, that's totally right. That's totally spot on. It doesn't seem like their hearts in it, which I think is why this whole thing was just such a half baked idea. It's like two people who just like, like I said, wanted to start a company. Like they're, they're totally just like bohemian New York types who are just like, I'm going to try, uh, uh, fucking yoga therapy. Cause that just sounds like a really interesting thing to try because I just am, I just like am financially stable enough to just try weird made up things. And they just, and the, and then at one point they were just like, I want to start a company. Yeah. It's like, this is like their hobby, um, where, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a very strange dynamic between the two of them. Um, it seems like a not very well thought out business model. Um, and also just, I, I, the thing that I personally didn't like about the episodes of startup that I listened to about them is that they never were held accountable by anyone. Like it was really kind of frustrating to listen to them like leech off of people and continually take advantage of situations. And it never really the only thing that catches up to them is that they shut the company down eventually. Like that's kind of it. Like like is it Emma's boyfriend or Lauren's boyfriend? One of their boyfriends is a is the engineer and and he's like the engineer for the company that designs the websites, the apps and all that stuff. And they run out of money at a certain point and can't pay him. So he has to leave. And she gives this kind of um, speech where she's kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's going to be in a situation where he's going to have more friends. He's the only man at the company right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm he's going to stay on part time until we find a new CTO. And like part of it felt like putting on a trying to save face and be like, make the best of a bad situation. And part of it felt like it's like, oh, you can see that your dream in air quotes dream is dying, but it doesn't mean all that much to you because this isn't really your fucking dream. And then there's the other part of this. It's like, how do these people just walk into this much money? That's what I kept thinking about the whole time where they're like, you know, we have all all these problems and we, we don't know if we're going to have enough money to make payroll and this, that, and the other. And it's like, but where did you get this money from in the first place? Like, I get it. Yeah, you did Y Combinator. You got investors. But like, what the fuck? People gave you two money? Yeah, it's really weird, too, because um, if you listen to the first several episodes, the first half of it, that, you know, that it, it talks about then it talks about them getting investor money. But it's so weird because um, they play uh recordings of them like going and like having meetings with investors and talking to them and they play parts of interviews and things like that and like the whole thing is framed as like 90% of businesses fail like you know the you could have a great idea and you could have this amazing idea for a company you could work really hard and do everything right and then your business can just fail because that's just how it works and, you know, of all the people who get into Y Combinator, like only 10% of them ever succeed and you ever hear about them. And you just have to be like the best. You have to like be the best at pitching. You have to be, you know, on top of everything. And you also have to be really lucky. And maybe you can make it into this top 10% of companies that don't fail in the first three months or whatever. And they sort of frame it that way of like, 
you know, this company, like it got into Y Combinator and like, who knows, like they, they, they've got this whole thing and they're trying, they're, they're, you know, working really hard, but like the, the jury's still out on if they're going to be that 10%, if they're going to make it, th- you know, over that hump. But when you like, it's very clear to me that they just don't know what they're doing. Like they just, they just don't know what they're doing. It's like, I'm listening to this. I'm like, yeah, no wonder this company failed. This isn't like a random, like, oh, these people just weren't lucky. They just, they don't know what they're doing. There, there's like all, they play these clips. There's like, just as an example, they play this clip where they're talking to an invest investor. And then the, and the narration is like, uh, you know, in their, in the, in the beginning, when they were talking to investors, uh, you know, investors were just writing checks for them because there's a lot of, uh, stigma that comes along with, um, being, getting into Y Combinator. So when, you know, your first three months out of Y Combinator, you have people who are just willing to throw money at you because, you know, there's some prestige that comes along with that. And then, you know, investors kind of have a herd mentality where like if one gives you money, then everyone starts wanting to give you money. But then once you fall off that wave, then nobody wants to give you money. And then your investment meetings become like, suddenly they're not just writing checks for you. Suddenly they're asking you really tough questions. And the the questions are just, you get tougher and tougher. And if you can't answer them right, you know, they're not going to write that check. And then it's playing recordings of it. And then there's one where there was the, the, after it says this thing about asking tough questions, the investor person is just like, uh, you know, are you, are you guys, uh, are you guys tracking your, your daily, um, active users? And they're just like, they kind of stutter around a little bit and they're like, and then one of them goes like, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's something that we should be on top of. And it's like, that's not a hard question. You like if you're a, a tech company that has a website and your whole business model is acquiring users, it's like fairly basic that you would know how many users you have on your site daily. That's not a crazy hard question. That's like a basic thing of like, do you know how many people are on your site every day, which is something that you can easily look at just by looking at your analytic backend. Like that's that's just like that's like one oh one. And the other part of this, the other part of this too, is that um, all of this is like bizarrely performative where not only are they not good at it, but they're, they're recording all of these calls and meetings. And some of them are like, you know, towards the end they're, they, they recorded the call where they decide to shut down the company. They record the call where almost like a breakup call. They, they record, um, at one point Emma is in the, in the car with her mom. And they're driving somewhere and her mom tells her something to the effect of, you know, I know this is hard and I know you've lost a lot of money and I know you owe me a lot of money because I fronted you for a bunch of bills while you were trying to make this company work. But and then she just trails off and then she's like, oh, that was the end of that. Uh, I, I, I need that money. But she was like, you know, I, I Emma's mom is like, you know, I I'm not someone who takes risks. And, you know, you don't want to live your life. And then at the end of it, look back and say, fuck, I really wish I had taken those chances. I could have gone other places and done all of these other things that I just never did because I was scared. And uh, I'm proud of you for taking this chance. And like Emma, like turned on her phone to record that, which is like and then the next scene is her being interviewed by the, you know, NPR reporter being like, what's your relationship like with your mom? Is it good? Would she normally say stuff like that to you? And she's like, you know, it's really not a very good relationship. We don't, we don't really talk about deep things. And it meant a lot when she said that to me. It's like, oh, I'm so, I'm so glad that you were so moved by this moment that you decided to start recording it on your iPhone. It meant a lot to me when she read that script that I wrote. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, it's all so performative and... 
And if it's not performative, then it's at least calculated and documented in an in a negative way, you know, not like just organically, like there's a reporter following me around, but I am leaping out of these moments in my life in order to go, this thing is going down. I'm going to chronicle it going down so that other people can see it going down. So hopefully I, I will be able to gain some notoriety that way. Yeah. Yeah. You got to wonder what, what, what percentage of it is kind of that where it was like, they just, they were hoping that if they just recorded everything, they could just like make some podcast about it or whatever. That, that, that the podcast would be their 15 minutes of fame of some kind. So now we get to the inevitability that we've all been waiting for to the dating ring community colon after an amazing five years of getting the chance to set up members dating ring shut its doors on august 31st 2018 we set out to change the landscape of dating for good to transform a traditionally frustrating experience into a positive one and to bring more love into the world and for five years we were lucky enough to get the chance to do that Best of luck in all your dating adventures. If there's anything we've learned as matchmakers, it's to remember to always be as open as possible to meeting new people. <sighs> uh, erase those filters, be kind, and get out there and have a good time. Exclamation point, XO, Lauren and Emma. So, you know, the, the end of the podcast narrative for them is they they pivot the company into an unthinkable graveyard and by what that by, by by that i mean they change the company from trying to be a traditional startup that will grow exponentially year over year into being what in the tech world is referred to as a lifestyle company which means a company that has a healthy profit margin people work at and take vacations from and then it's just kind of that. It doesn't necessarily become Amazon. It's just a thing that exists. You know, like a normal fucking thing. Like, you know, a successful life where you're emotionally centered and able to spend time with people you love and work isn't everything. Um, but we live in a late stage capitalist society. So growth, baby. So the podcast ends with them pivoting as this like failure where they pivot from being this the goal of being an exponential growth startup to being a lifestyle company. And then basically as me, as soon as that podcast came out, they were just like, ah, psych bye, we're shutting the company down. <laughs> yeah. Which almost that, that almost seems like another deception or another kayfabe where it's like for the sake of being the subject of this podcast for a season, it had to have that ending to the arc, but it, but they really never actually intended it to be that they just need to pretend like that was going to be the thing. So that they could be on the podcast. Yep. So in summary, um, Andrew Price, Papa Pricey, Big Papa P, Pizza Pizza Papa Rizza <laughs> What are your thoughts on the dating game? And specifically the era in which we chronicled primarily, which was the uh, the last of the San Franciscans. Hey, you, you right now listening to this, the moment you listen to this, if you're in the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group, great. If you're not, join the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. Just go onto Facebook and type in Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group or no, just type in Deep Cuts podcast group. 
and it'll come up. Join the Facebook group. You right now listening to this. Make me your finest pizza, pizza, paparizza meme. And post it in the in the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. If you don't have Facebook or don't use Facebook or something like that, email it. Make your finest pizza, pizza, paparizza meme and email it to me, Andrew at boygeniusmedia.com. Do it right now. Do it the fuck right now. Pizza, pizza, paparizza. Um, yeah, I the 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 story the story depresses me uh, for uh, a, a multitude of reasons. You know, kind of. Kind of the the territory that we talked about earlier, we were talking about earlier with the kids and little Tokyo, uh, and just this like this way that uh, you know in a, in a late stage capitalist society, as you just said, um, we we uh, in a desperate attempt to uh, achieve either uh, economic superiority and supremacy or just survive and be able to afford to live, we're desperate to monetize anything and everything. And, um, I'm not, you know, the, the, the idea of dating apps isn't inherently bad or evil in the way that I think a lot of social media kind of is at this point where it's like, you know, uh, just fucking burn it all. Uh, but you know, a dating app, uh, that's not necessarily fundamentally evil. Um, but, um, this concept of like at the, ex- at the expense of people's, uh, just desire to, to connect with people and be loved and reach out into the void and touch someone, uh, just reach out and fuck space. To zero in on that and just see dollar signs in your eyes. Um, to the detriment of the end user is just is just it's just a it's just a ghoulish concept to me, um, and that and I really get that sense from this. It's like they they didn't actually they didn't care about any of these people. They didn't care about any kind of goal or any kind of larger mission statement of trying to bring more love to the world. They just this they just wanted to start a company as like a hobby or like they're like mid 20s fucking like uh you know summer project or whatever and in you know i don't think anyone was really hurt by this at least that i know of but the fact that like they didn't really care and like that wasn't really in the equation really it was it wasn't that wasn't really being um that wasn't really being taken care of or thought about is like the fact that you're just kind of exploiting people's loneliness to try to make a fucking company um is just it's just it's just it's just you know it it depresses me um and and you know there's that aspect of it um and then there's also just you know i i have a lot of personal experience with this because i'm like from this world where i I, you know I've, i've worked in startups for the last you know nearly a decade and i've sort of had my like uh romance and then falling out of love and then divorce with startup culture and it just it, it it hits it hits a lot of it hits home a lot and it really reminds me of a lot of stuff that I've experienced and you know knowledge that I've gained over the last decade and you know it's just not a not not a whole lot of it is positive um and 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 it really just it really just um reeks of this commonality amongst all startup culture that's just like you know, we got to start a company. We got to fucking get rich. Like, what's the company? I don't know. We'll figure that out later, man. I, I don't even fucking know. Like, we just we, we got to, like, just start building this site and, like, building up a Facebook page. And we'll just figure out, like, what it does after. 
um, this hollow late stage capitalist concept where you're because, you know, the idea of the idea of capitalism is that the free market will um, benefit the consumer and it'll create a seamless society where the problems of the common man or woman are solved by um, a bunch of different companies uh, recognizing that problem, developing their own way of solving it, and then the best one rising to the top by this competitive um, system where people are, um, you know, vying for your dollar, um, you know, to to be recognized as the best, most efficient or most um, uh, effective version of that solution and this whole system will come come together and create this mechanism in which slowly over time we will turn into a utopia where every problem that we have is solved in increasingly more efficient ways to the point where we have no more problems anymore and all of our problems are solved in these easy you know uh effortless enjoyable ways and it's mutually beneficial for, you know, the people and then the businesses, because the businesses, you know, they make money off of this process. The people are given these solutions and they're given the utopia and it just it ratchets itself up and ratchets itself up and just gets better and better. Uh, but, you know, obviously that's not really how it works in in execution at all. It's almost the opposite of that. And in, you know, in this late stage capitalist dynamic that that's that mechanism is just completely dysfunctional because of this very exact thing that people don't start companies to solve a a large problem that is plaguing humanity in the way that they might have you know years ago when there was just less competition in the field now people just start companies just to start companies like just for the sake of starting companies they start they start companies because in a late stage capitalist society the thing our society values the most is those engines of capital i.e companies so in order to position yourself at the pinnacle of a social pyramid owning a company Owning a company is the most prestigious thing you can do. Therefore, the top 1% of people are constantly or the people who view themselves as the top 1% of people are attempting to leverage connections socially and uh, financially into starting companies, regardless of if they have an actual need that they're trying to fill. They just want the uh, prestige of being an owner of a company or a CFO or a CEO. Or a CTO. Yeah, exactly. And then you have you have stuff like this that just nobody is asking for. But then you also it, it also goes to the other end of the spectrum too, like something like Facebook, one of the biggest companies in the world that you know started out. You know, Facebook went through this whole process of growth and seeking investors and get getting capital and you know growing a bunch and you know and only after they had done a lot of that. Did they really stop and think like, what do you, like, how are we going to make this a, like, how are we going to make money from this? What is this company? Cause, you know, obviously, you know, originally it started as just a way for like, um, college students to like communicate, uh, from their computers. And then it pivoted to being this open social media platform for anybody to compete with like MySpace and Friendster and stuff. And, you know, like MySpace, MySpace was like, 
was like almost like a psyop where MySpace was created by a marketing company that they wanted to build a platform and get a bunch of users on it. And then after they had built up these users on this free tool that they like to use, then they wanted to basically go into like stage two and start just marketing products to them. And it didn't work because whenever they when they flipped that switch and tried to turn MySpace into a marketing delivery platform, everybody hated it and they jumped ship and went to Facebook and then MySpace just cratered. Um, Facebook was like the opposite where people flocked to them because they were just a they were they were just a social media platform for you to connect with friends and there was no ulterior motive and they got really big and really popular and they grew a lot. And only then did they kind of look around and be like, what do we, how do we make this like um, thing we could make money off of? And then the decision was made like at that point, years into the lifespan of this company, that it was going to become a marketing platform. And that's what Facebook is. It's a marketing platform. It's a, it's a platform that exists where there's this, there's this available, um, this, this, there's this available inventory of users of eyeballs and that we've built and then we service ads to them that's a horrible thing no who wants that who wants who wants a a machine that is designed to show ads to them that's not useful to anybody and yet it's one of the most dominating companies and products in the world um and that, that's really that's, you know, whatever effectiveness the free market, you know, could have had and maybe at some point did have um, whenever you have like the largest, basically the largest company in the world almost is pointless. And only the only person that benefits is the company itself. And then all of the advertisers, that's 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 a pretty big existential problem. Um, and then this is just a smaller version of that where it's like this. This is just existentially pointless like this company never needed to exist why does it exist why did any of these dollars ever change hands why did any of these people have to go through this process none of this ever needed to exist yeah you can really get that feeling from that interview with the two of them that we played at the top of the show where they they almost kind of look like kids like when they ask like so what's the point of your company what what is what is the dating ring and emma kind of yeah, Emma looks over at Lauren and it's this kind of like you can tell that they don't have practice of like the pitch in air quotes. So they're trying to like figure it out. And they're they're both kind of like, ah, well, you know, have you heard of grouper? We're like grouper, but for dating. So it's like banger, we're group banger. We're, but we're not orgies. We're the dating ring. Smash that subscribe button. Yeah, it's not 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 good. That So the verdict is this was stupid. Uh, these people should not have done this but they did do this and their company went bankrupt and that was probably okay um and uh yeah low-key kind of seems a little bit like nah, i'm not gonna say that never mind oh god what was it gonna be i was gonna say you know low-key kind of seems like sex trafficking you're like flying people across the country to like these rich shitty dudes it's just like mm, i don't know that kind of i mean that, that that kind of is what it is a little bit though i mean it, it isn't literally that where they're taking you know women against their will and like selling them to people like obviously that's not what it was but it kind of feels like it's like it's like that a little bit under under the surface under like the veneer of it it kind of reminds me of like there's this there's this really weird dynamic on social media with a lot of media companies where 
media companies will exploit the commonalities between the sort of like exploitation and objectification of human sexuality that exists in our culture and then like progressive ideals about sexuality to get clicks, basically. And what I mean by that is somebody like the Huffington Post or, you know, any of these news sites will post a story about like the free the nipple march in that happened in New York City where, you know, women are walking around, you know, with their shirts off with no bras in, in protest of these oppressive um, laws that we have about women not being able to, you know, walk around, you know, with their shirts off and all this stuff. And like those movements are sort of just, you know, I, I guess you could say that they maybe need press coverage and the, and the exposure, but they're operating in and of, of themselves. They have their own goal and purpose. And then media companies, you know, will write stories about them where like the thumbnail will be like a nude woman with her boobs, you know, blurred out or whatever. And it's like it's like a Trojan horse where they're like they're kind of getting through by being like, we're just reporting on this progressive thing about women, you know, expressing their sexuality and protesting, uh, you know, oppression by, you know, uh, male lawmakers who have these puritanical views that, you know, technically shouldn't you know be involved in politics. But in reality, they're just like, there's a girl like naked on this thumbnail, like click on this. And it, and it kind of reminds me of that where. There's this concept of like, we're just trying to solve this problem where there's all these single women that are looking, you know, for connections in New York. And then there's all these single men in San Francisco. And we're just like solving this mutual problem for both of them. But in reality, they're just like convincing a bunch of like adventurous young women to like go be like weird concubines for like tech bros who who clearly don't have compatible views on uh dating and relationships one of these one of these groups of people is obviously a lot more progressive and they're kind of just in it for looking for like an interesting new experience and the other person is like oh like i i need a wife to validate my existence and like just like fucking agree with all my really weird neck beard uh you know incel thoughts about like how relationships should be yeah it's not good it's not good i just, i mean i agree with everything you said it's not good and so begins the the our our uh what will inevitably become uh, s- several episodic theme of how uh, technology and social media are slowly unraveling the fabric of our society and destroying it. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. This has been Deep Cuts. Uh, if you'd like to find me on the internet, you can find me at heydavebaker.com or Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at xdavebakerx. Please go buy my book, Everyone is Tulip, which is about a young actor from Arizona who moves to Los Angeles and then gets sucked up into the high-stakes world of YouTube performance art. It's coming out from Dark Horse Comics. It's available wherever you get your books and your comics. Um, and uh, drawn by Nicole Gu, colored by, co-colored by uh, Nicole and Ellie Hall. It's really good. We worked really hard on it. It's almost 200 pages. Um, I think it's really cool. Uh, if you like this show, you'll probably like the book too. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it's a really cool book. We worked really hard on it. It's our debut from a top five publisher. So I'm trying to sell as many copies as possible. So 
If you uh, if you're a comic book reader, pick up Everyone's Tulip. If you're not a comic book reader, it's a good way to get into comics. You know you want to. You've always wanted to read a graphic novel. You know you have. You know you have. Everyone's Tulip. It's the book for you. Andrew, where can people find you on the internet? Comics are just are just books with your imagination done for you. And when it, when it's Nicole drawing, it's way better than anyone's imagination because that shit looks dope. <laughs> Uh, you can find me uh, uh, <laughs> patiently awaiting in some San Francisco uh, fucking um, gastropub for the uh, the the group the, cr- the group of women that are being shipped from New York to come do a roundtable speed date session with me. And uh, you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you get my book Deadbolt AI Private Eye and merch. You can get merch at deepcutspod.com. Or you can get our patches on any of the sites, including Andrew's Mine or uh, DeepCutsPod.com. Deep Cuts is a production by Boy Genius Media. If you'd like to find this show and others like it, please visit boygeniusmedia.com or deepcutspod.com. If you want to join in on post-episode discussions, please join the Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group. Finally, subscribe to our YouTube channel for additional video content. The incidental music for this episode was created by Pseudocide, who can be found on Facebook at P-S-E-U-D-O-C-I-D-E with spaces between each letter because apparently Facebook doesn't like the use of the Latin stem side and dad beats. You can listen to his podcast, Food Fight, a food discussion podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts and the dead boy detectives.